Hey, this is Zev Bannett, listening to the Daily Halacha, Kabbalah, and Machshava podcast series, brought to you by Yesodblocks.com. If you're interested in more content like this, if you're enjoying our in-depth exploration of the underlying Kabbalah and Machshava foundations of every halacha that we learn on this podcast, you can get access to much more extensive systems, frameworks, holistically structured background pictures of all of the Torah concepts that we're talking about discussing in this series at Yesodblocks.com. You can subscribe there. And not only get access to all of that Torah that will literally blow your mind and change your life, but also support what we are doing in trying to spread Torah of this nature, showing the world the sophisticated truth of what it is that we have been saying for the last 3,000 years. In this series, we explore a different halacha in the Shulchan Aruch in every episode, trying to dig underneath and find the underlying Kabbalah dynamic, the underlying Kabbalah mechanics, really, of what the halacha does, how it interfaces with who we are at the different layers and levels of our being, and we also try to show that the halacha is the actualized expression of the inner spiritual dynamics within each of us, these different levels of our being, so that way the halacha serves as an accurate expression of what it is that we want to express on the spiritual internal level, which for many people is difficult because spirituality can be very intense internally, and then we search for ways to express that, and it kind of just goes all over the place, oftentimes even causing some damage when we pick we pick actualized expressions of spiritual uh, goals or spiritual, spiritual passions that don't really align with what it is on the inside uh, in the way that we do things on the outside. It's been an unfortunate wrinkle of history for thousands of years. People have felt very passionate feelings and done things that are either very destructive, uh, distorted, uh, distorting. So that's what we're trying to do with this series. We're in Siman Nun Gimel. Section 53 of the Shulchan Aruch of Orachayim. Uh, and the halacha is halacha yudalat, halacha number 14. Here it says, Suma, yored lifnea teva. Suma is somebody who is blind. So again, the discussion here, as we've been describing the last few episodes, is about who can be the leader of the tefillah group, the tefillah alignment process. So we have this grouping of 10 people, 10 men, who each have the various structural, um, we'll call them structural variants, uh, each one having 10 different attributes because each of us has 10 basic attributes that we use to manifest our intangible selves into the tangible world. And so the idea of davening with a group that we have 10 men that come together is because the dynamic of the male is to have these 10 attributes in a more thickened and distorted form than the female. And so by us clumping 10 of us together, so then what it does is it basically allows us to each try to uh, complement where each of us has shortcomings in these 10 attributes, where each of us is somewhat too emphasizing of either chesed or netzach or hod, or you name any of your any of the 10 attributes, these are the 10 svirot, which are keter, chachma, bina, chesed, gvur, tifer, netzach, hod, yesod, and malchut, so all 10 of those. So we each have varying amounts of each, which then give rise to distortions in our characters and how we manifest ourselves in the world. So the idea here is to have 10 different versions of the male structure, and that way we each can look to each other and try to feed off each other to some degree to uh, rebalance ourselves and then create a whole unit of 10 with all the 10 uh, layers, 10 structures, 10 attributes, kind of um, more seamless or more whole the way that they're supposed to be more aligned. And that's supposed to allow each of us to access that collective alignment and then enter into the tefillah state at a higher level of alignment because we're now more aligned internally by looking at each other and trying to pull those attributes from each other to become more whole in ourselves. That's the, pur- the purpose of tefillah b'tzibor. 
And uh, unfortunately today, as I've been mentioning, it's not really done that way. Instead, it's much more of a social thing. People very, very often have very little knowledge of these attributes at all and the distortions that they give rise to in our character. I mean, the, the mapping of our of our of these 10 attributes in our individualized characters is the key to all growth, the key to understanding how you do things, how you work, and how to become more in terms of what you are and what you want to become. So it's very key to understand these things, and it's not really a side point. Unfortunately, these areas of Torah are often simply not taught or overlooked, and there's a lot of, there's some social reasons for that, uh, some circumstantial reasons not really our purpose right now. But the point is that we're talking here about a person who now wants to lead this group, that's the Chazan, and here we're, we're discussing the idea of a Suma, somebody who's blind, can they be the leader for this type of group? So now a person who's blind, so uh, it's very obvious that the issue that a blind person will have is that if you're going to lead the group, so a lot of being the leader of the Tefillah B'Tzibur process involves reading things out of the Sidur, and saying them out loud for the group to follow uh, and to keep to keep track with each other, so that way we're all kind of in the same place at the same time during the tefillah alignment process, the four or five stages of evol- evolution that we're supposed to be engaging in during the morning tefillah process as we reorient ourselves now that we've come back to consciousness after being asleep, uh, in which our consciousness was basically dormant or outside of the flow of physical time and space. So we have this person who's supposed to be the leader, but in order to do that, in order to keep people on the same page, on the same rhythm and the same place in the process, so they are supposed to be able to use the Sidur and be reading and therefore and then announce different parts out loud so people can kind of keep up in the same place. If you're blind, it's not super easy to do that unless you know the entire tefillah process by heart. Uh, so, but here the halacha is that um, a suma is still allowed to, if, if you have a blind person who does know it by heart, so he's allowed to um, be the leader of the tefillah b'tzibur. And you might have thought also that uh, a person who's blind, even if he does know it by heart, maybe he still can't be the leader because, as we've discussed in previous episodes, having people who have various physical um, uh, handicaps is sometimes a problem in the process of being the, in, in the in the um, role of being the leader uh, of a tefillah group because it can be distracting from the overarching dynamic of evolution and of alignment that we're supposed to be trying to create because the person who is leading has some kind of um, problem that now becomes more magnified in people's minds as they observe him as the leader and it distracts them away from their ability to sort of uh, look to each other including the leader to um, attempt to add balance and add more alignment from other people's attributes to their own way of being especially the leader as we saw in earlier episodes is supposed to be somebody who is a pretty high caliber of development so if they have some kind of um, a handicap or some kind of other noticeable um, problem, so then uh, that can sometimes be a distraction to the group and then interfere with the ability of the group to act to access these aligned states. So that's why the halacha goes through different types of issues and describes, well, when is it an issue? To what degree is it an issue? Well, what if there's nobody else? And that's what we've been seeing over the last few episodes. So here, the, the blind person uh, is allowed to be the leader. There's no there's no caveat here. It just says he's allowed to be the, the chazan. It just adds that uvil vad... He shouldn't be the person who reads from the Torah. As we mentioned also in the previous episode, um, there's a there's a, a halacha, a mitzvah, to read out of the Torah a, couple, a few times a week, uh, three times a week actually, and to actually read out, out loud parts of the Torah. We do it in a sequence. And so uh, there's basically um, every Monday, every Thursday, and every Shabbos, uh, the Torah is supposed to be read out loud to the group. So it's basically, you know, what's supposed to happen there is that there's... Um, uh, People are supposed to understand Hebrew, obviously, and we're just reviewing the Torah uh, on, on an annual basis. We go through the whole Torah over the year, 
and uh, we just we read out of it on those days to basically continue the process of doing that. And it's actually something which is uh, it was added like a pretty like somewhat after the Torah, the the Torah was given itself. Uh, Moshe was the first person to institute that halacha for Shabbos, and then we had other people later who added it for Mondays and Thursdays. But there's also an example of something similar to that in the Torah itself, uh, the mitzvah called Hakel, which is basically where um, the king is supposed to read once a year uh, the parts of the Torah out loud to the entire nation. Um, and that's something which is, uh, it's because the, the, the idea of reading the Torah to the nation, especially it used to be the people who were not literate, so they couldn't even read Hebrew. Um, and it's funny because now in certain ways we're more literate because most of the, the developed world today is literate in their native languages. But many people still don't really understand Hebrew very well or read Hebrew very fluently. And that's true, meaning of our people, people of B'nai Israel. So there was, there was this halacha of, of reading the Torah out loud to the people. And that way they can actually hear the Torah and remember the Torah. And of course, for us today, there's a lot, because we, we know a lot about the Torah, perhaps, and uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's more familiar. So it's almost like, well, why are we doing this? Like, it's just, we're kind of going through the motions. But you should recall that, um, there, that for two things. One is that um, there's a good rule when reading the Chumash to try to read it as if you've never seen it before. That's a great approach to learning Chumash in general. But in addition to that, you should recall that many people actually don't know the Chumash and did not know the Chumash throughout history. And so reading the Chumash out loud to people, and they hear it and they understand what it says, and they're like, wow, like there's a lot of things here that we didn't know about that we're supposed to be doing to become who we're supposed to be as a people. This is literally our national identity uh, as a family, as a group, as a people. And so that's what this, that's the point of this halacha. And so there's a, a rule over here that the Shulchan Aruch is bringing up, which is that a blind person should not be the one who reads from the Torah. The reason is because it says, Mishum, Dvarm uh, things that are written down, meaning written Torah, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to recite them by heart. And we saw this halacha also earlier, a few episodes ago, uh, in discussion about Shema. There are certain parts of the Chumash that we do, that we do allow you to say them by heart, uh, because they're very familiar. But most of the Torah is not known to most people by heart. And so if it's written Torah, you're not supposed to say it by heart. So even if you have a blind person who even knows the Torah by heart, uh, he's not supposed to recite it and read it to the group, uh, to the to the tefillah group, because um, it's written Torah is supposed to be read out of the actual written text. Now, the reason for that is because if you think about like sort of what the written text of the Chumash is, so it's often described as kind of like an anchor to the Torah Shabal Peh. So I'll just, I'll just give a little bit of background to what that means. Like the Torah Shabal Peh is basically the world of Torah that we discuss that's like usually thought of when we talk about like learning Torah. The reason for that is because the, the idea of Torah Shabal Peh is basically Hashem's thoughts. In other words, like if you think about what thoughts are, so thoughts are basically our attempt to mirror the patterns of the world that we see around us inside our own minds so we can then try to understand things in the theoretical mirroring that we have inside of our heads. We can try to, it's almost like taking home reality to yourself and you can kind of like tinker with it. So let's say you're, you know, you're outside and you see birds flying around and you feel the wind blowing. So then you create these mirrors inside of the pattern recognition software of your brain to actually like essentially recall those things, those patterns that you're seeing, and then you make all kinds of inferences and analysis. You don't even realize that we, we, don't, we don't realize that we do this, 
because you know when you see a bird flying you just take it as a given because you've seen birds fly before so you've already kind of done this at, at the beginning level but even so it still continues in the back of your mind there's like this awareness that there's up there's down there's side to side there's there's airflow there's movement there's the there's forces at work like you're basically picking up on all these patterns and then you know if i asked you oh how does a bird fly so you'd basically refer to the model the mirror that you have inside of your head and you say well when they flap their wings they're pushing they're they're pushing with those wings against the airflow and their bodies are light because they have hollow bones and then they're able to basically lift themselves into the air with that force so it's basically a, a force that counters against gravity so like that's all you look you're not you're looking inside of your mind and looking inside of the 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 theoretical modeling that you basically design in your mind and mirroring the real world to assess what's going on in the world outside that's that's you know going on all around us so that whole world of thought, that's the world of Bina in, the, in terms of our, the 10 attribute structure of the Sefirot, so the, the attribute that is the vessel for that area is the world of Bina, and Bina basically means the ability to make calculations and to extrapolate things from here to there using the, the uh, thought vessel that, is, that we're describing, the, the tool that we can use to actually mirror reality. And so that's um, that's most of Torah is actually about that because to, like Torah Shabbat Pet, you can think of it as well. We have our own thoughts. We basically look at the world and we extrapolate and concretize and 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 you know collect information. So, but we do it through our own lenses. In other words, if you never noticed birds or don't think about birds, never learned anything about birds because you're not interested in birds, so then maybe you wouldn't know that they have hollow bones and you wouldn't know how their wings achieve lift. And so, you know, that that's simply a question of your own personal preference. And that personal preference orientation is what uh, emanates from the Eitzadas, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because that tree, it gives us the capacity to only notice the things that we're interested in and to ignore things that we're apathetic towards. So that's a capacity that is, it's a power that we basically got, which means, makes us much more subjective than we were before the story of the Garden of Eden in the Chumash. The way that we were before was we actually saw information in its totality and we were able to organize it according to its true uh, and full picture. And so the the cure for the Eitzadas distortions, the cure for the Eitzadas uh, preferential perceptions and therefore preferential information collection and preferential information storage is the Torah Shabal Peh because what Torah Shabal Peh actually is is supposed to be Hashem's thoughts about reality. In other words, we have our own thoughts that are a function of Das Tovara, of our own distorted perceptions based on preference and Torah Shabal Peh is Hashem's thoughts about reality that are objective and, and responsive to the totality of the information set that reality presents. And so when you learn Torah Shabal Peh specifically the Gemara is basically the writing out of all of these uh, thought patterns. You ever notice, you ever learn Gemara, the Talmud, so then you'll notice that it operates in a very tangent-oriented and very, almost like a like a, a stream of consciousness type of type of structure where it, it has an idea. There's a lot of back and forth, a lot of theoretical, a lot of random suggestions, things that, that sound like they're like bizarre sometimes. And there's a lot of just kind of going this way, then that way. And that's because it mirrors the starburst pattern that our thoughts take, where they basically just flow uh, and, and, and run in the direction that they're in. It's a, the train of thought is very associative. And so the it's designed to be that, but it's designed to be the thought patterns that are fully reflective of the totality of a given situation, scenario, or, or entity. So that's what Tarsh Pet is. Now, in contrast to that, to that 
um, I don't want to say chaotic, but very dynamic flow of Torah Shabbat Peh, there's Torah Shabbat And Torah Shabbat uh, is basically the, it's it's this anchor in the physical layer of being for the world of thoughts. You can think of it as like when you have a world of theoretical ideas, let's say somebody bothers you. So if somebody annoys you, you could go through a thousand different options of how you're going to respond to them. Some of those options, just like the Gemara's options are sometimes very out there, are going to be options that are very extreme. You might want to harm them even. There are plenty of people who have considered and thought about uh, hurting somebody else because of something that they did to them. But that doesn't mean that then when you think of those thoughts, there's something wrong with what you're doing. Because in order for us to really explore reality uh, and understand reality and live within reality, we have to really be open to every possibility and on a theoretical level. That way we can figure out which possibilities are the most logical, rational, appropriate for a given situation, uh, and then actually make the decision to actualize the ultimately uh, correct or most aligned with truth approach and response. But you can't really make a real choice into the real world if you can't consider all the different possibilities, even the ones that are, you know, morally out there and, and, and or very difficult. To, you know, so so that's really what Torah Shabbat is like. The end point. It's like here's the the actualization of something in the physical form that now is the anchor for everything else. In other words, like you might have considered 20 options. This is the bottom line. This is what you ended up actually doing. And that's an anchor. So with the Chumash also, it's like you could consider many, many, many different ideas, but the the Chumash acts as like the bumpers, like in a bowling in a bowling alley, which is like if you consider this you know idea X on the Torah Shabbat Peh level on the theoretical plane, and it goes against something in the Torah Shabbat well, then it's out because now it's outside of the anchor that the physical Torah actually uh, serves as. So that's what Torah Shabbat is. It's, you can think of it as like the body of the world of thought that is the Torah Shabbat Just like our bodies are the physical actualizing tools of the theoretical world within our minds. So the Torah Shabbat is like this actualized, this actualized form of the Torah Shabbat and it's the anchor, it's the it's the trigger for all of the, the cascades of Torah Shabbat thinking. Uh, another analogy is kind of like if you write somebody a letter, that's why the Gemara says this exact analogy, that if you write somebody a letter, so obviously, you, you could, let's say it's a love letter, so you're filled with love, it's filled with all these thoughts and associations and depth and texture and color, and, and you write all this down in, in, into a letter, the letter is just a bunch of words, it's finite, as opposed to the endless, infinite array and, and, and flow and ocean of, of feelings and thoughts that you have, uh, inside of the the space of your mind, and then the emotional space is an extension of that. So the the letter is just you know it's, it could be four hundred words, three hundred words. Uh, and that's very finite, but embedded within those words, those words are like the chosen expression, the vessel for the underlying love. And if you write things in there like, I hate you, you're the worst, so you could see how that would not really be a, a, an aligned vessel expressing the underlying flow of thought within. And similarly, if you write if you write inside the, the letter, um, I love you forever, so then if in your mind you're thinking to yourself, oh, I don't really love this person, I'm just... Um, I just want to tell them that to manipulate them or something. So then you could see how the physical thing is not actualizing the underlying thoughts in that way. And so the Torah is, is basically like, it's supposed to be a letter that actualizes, manifests, uh, you know, it's, it's the concrete form of the Torah. And then the Torah Shabbat Peh is the behind, the, the, the world, the ocean that is underneath those written words that are meant to encapsulate uh, what what is what's what's within the thought space into some kind of finite form, and as a result of that, that's why we have this principle that a person who is blind uh, it should not be the one reading the Torah because it, in order to actually, uh, uh, I guess you could say, not just be aware of this but to live this. So then, when someone is reading from the Torah, they're supposed to read from the Torah. 
and not actually just recite anything by heart. I actually do have a lot of experience reading from the Torah for groups like that. I'm a Baal Kore, somebody who reads from the Torah regularly. And there's an example of one of the rules is when you get to the end of a section and you're going to now pause and, and, and before you continue to the next section, sometimes people by mistake, as they, as they finish off the last few words of the section, they'll actually look away from the text on the page, on the scroll, and actually simply just recite the last couple of words by heart. You're not supposed to do that because it's supposed to be that the experience of you sharing this is not coming out of your own mind, not coming out of your own memory of the Torah Shabbat Sav. It's because that, that's you now. You're sharing yourself. What you're supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be acting as a conduit for the written form of the Torah to flow to the listeners so they can actually access the Torah in the written form. And that's why a blind person is not supposed to do that, even though they can be the leader uh, for a tefillah uh, group, but they're not supposed to specifically do this part, the Torah Shabbat Sav, um, reading by heart. Hope that was clarifying that you enjoyed that. Check us out again at yasoblocks.com and you can subscribe there and support what we're doing. Looking forward to having you join me for the next episode.